Welcome in to the best in paranormal programming. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Got a good show ahead for you today, folks. You know, we're focused right now on the alien thing. We're focused on the arrow meetings that happened up on Capitol Hill this uh, last week, last Wednesday. It was, uh, to say the least, it was tumultuous. I think, uh, you know, I've gotten some questions from listeners. I think that we're going to... Uh, we're going to tackle with our guest mc henry today he's got a book out there which is absolutely fascinating i want you guys to check it out the book is called the illustrated guide to fermi's paradox we're going to talk about that in length today and we're also going to talk about um why science has switched from seemingly saying that there's really not any life out there to all of a sudden, oh, there's life out there, and now it's it's coming to our planet. Not only that, we have evidence of it, and we're now we're sitting on Congress or sitting in Congress and trying to get answers about it. So we're going to discuss also later in the program why the flip, why the, the, the giant flip from and the 180 from no life out there to giant life out there. Our guest today is MC Henry. He is an author, illustrator, and extreme sports enthusiast located in the Pacific Northwest near the Olympic National Park. He started his writing career by publishing snowboarding guides under the pen name Kyle Ashton. I'm so jealous he's snowboarding, especially a guy with one good leg. I tell you, I would love to snowboard. Uh, and with good initial reception, MC Henry never looked back. MC Henry has since published multiple winter sports guys, guides, uh, two fully illustrated books for children, and a nonfiction science book exploring Fermi's paradox. That's what we're talking about today. He's now working to complete three radically different horror novels. And if you think he's getting out of here without talking about it, you're sadly mistaken. Uh, MC Henry finds meaning through his illustrations and his writing. And he couldn't imagine a world in which he's not generating exciting new stories, weaving relevant allegories, and critically analyzing old ideas. I want to welcome to the show and Darkness Radio, MC Henry. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for being with us. I am so, so happy that you're with us today. You know, I got to tell you how I found you, first of all. I'm, I'm, yeah, uh, I am. I'm curious to hear about that. Uh how how did you find my book? <laughs> I hear the curiosity just dripping off of you. So it's it's not a very popular book. I mean, you know. No, I hear you. I, I hear you. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm sitting I'm sitting as I as I do every Thursday and Friday. What I do is I, I sit down and I look for I think about interesting topics and topics that my audience wants to hear. Okay. And of course, the topic du jour is is this whole thing on Capitol Hill and the Arrow meetings. And you know, I'm thinking I, I want to tackle this this alien thing, but I want to tackle it from a different perspective. And I'm telling you, MC, it's like it dropped out of heaven and hit me in the head, right? So I'm looking at our good friend Mike uh, Mike's book, who's out now, or it's coming out, and. Attached to his book is an ad right on Amazon for your book. Like, wow. Like it's kismet, like it's fate. There's your book. And I went, are you effing kidding me? And I looked and I said, I got to figure out what this thing is all about. So I click on the, I click on the little attachment, the little ad, and it says, The Illustrated Guide to Fermi's Paradox, Why We Don't Observe Alien Life Throughout the Universe. And I went, that's perfect. That's exactly what I want to, what I want to explore. I want to explore 
the time before we got so alien crazy, which is just the last few years. I want to talk a little bit about why we switched. What happened to the skepticism that life existed on other worlds? But I also want to talk about how we made that switch and how we came to here. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, well, the... um the switch, I think, happened recently. I mean, with the with the congressional hearings, it's mm-hmm. it's really done a one eighty. Um, and the reason for that, I think, is because the government was so interested in creating the stigma. You you hear in the in congressional hearings, they talk about the stigma stigma and how it's hurting whistleblowers. And um, I mean, I think that whistleblowers uh, are are crucial to to justice and and you know the truth because mm-hmm. people with, with money and people with power have an incentive to cover up the truth. So whistleblower protections are are really important. And um, you know, the recent topic is UFOs. So so we're sort of seeing this gradual shift, but you see the stigma remain. I mean, every every podcast every show that i enjoy they're still handling this with a great deal of skepticism yes and you know i think i think a critical mindset is important um but what i think we're seeing is actually a cultural um um effect of of the history of what's been going on here that that you're very right you're very right um and i think and, and correct me if i'm wrong here mc here's the deal um I've heard from a lot of listeners, a lot of a lot of people that listen to the show, that that follow paranormal culture, that that listen to more than just the show, that that consume a lot of products and have been watching these hearings. They say this to me, and I always hit them with this line. They say to me, "Oh, well, if an alien landed in front of me today, I'd be ready for it." And I say, "You're sadly mistaken." And here's why. And, and, and I'll throw the scenario in front of you real quick. When we look at the family in Las Vegas that had uh, the aliens land in their backyard uh, a couple months ago. And the first thing they do is they see that they're, the, these aliens are back in, near that backhoe in their backyard. The first thing they do is like, ooh, they're, they're backed up and they're, they're scared. They call the police, right? You want to call right. the Calvary. That the first thing they do is call the Calvary. You want, you want company. You want someone in there to reassure you or at least people with guns to come in and protect you, right? And I say, well, what happens if these aliens show up and they're 10 feet tall, 9, 10 feet tall, and they come looking for these bodies that they're talking about? Uh, in these hearings, these non these bodies of non-human origin that supposedly are coming out of these crash sites, and they want these bodies back, and they're pissed, and they're looking at you, and they're pointing right. at you and saying, "Where are these bodies that you're keeping?" And they're going to go cool. through you. That that's that's uh, as as Negan puts it in, in in The Walking Dead. That's shit in pants time, isn't it? Well, I've got an even scarier situation for you, and I think it may be um, closer to what you might actually expect in this sort of situation. Okay. So so let's take a step back away from the aliens and just look at people for a second, because I'm interested with people. I think that's what makes my book a little bit different. You sure. know, it focuses on economics. It focuses on people's motivations. Mm-hmm. 
So we have this idea in the United States, you know, as citizens, that what our government does is for the benefit of ourselves. It's for the benefit of humanity. Um, and that what we what we are as a force is a, is a global force of good. Mm-hmm. But I think if you look at that and actually analyze our actions as a government, you know, um, as a structure, as a as an institution, I think what you'll observe is that we aren't interested in human rights. We aren't interested in liberty, especially today. We aren't in- interested in individual liberties, freedoms. Um, and what what I'm sort of, what, what scares me is that if an alien did, you know, if aliens did visit, where would they go? Well, they'd probably go to the U.S. who has this grip of control and authority and who does not have an interest in human rights at all. I mean, you were, we pay taxes. We don't get health care. We pay taxes. Our roads remain, you know, mm-hmm. trash. Mm-hmm. We don't get anything out of this system. So from the, from the um, whistleblower reports, they're saying – you know, the sightings are mostly centralized in the U.S. So if you're an alien trying to conquer or control or, you know, get some sort of benefit over this long distance travel, I think what you would want to do is infiltrate this power structure. You're not going to mess with the civilians. You're just going infl- to just going to infiltrate this power structure and then exert control because the control is already there. It's already a system in place that they can take advantage of. You sort of, and you sort of see the benefit from my perspective. You know, why would you travel vast distances across space to go to another planet? Well, probably to get something that you couldn't get at your home planet. Okay, and. To me, what that sort of what that sort of means is perhaps they're interested in manufacturing, perhaps they're interested in, um, you know, that actually that's pretty much all I all I focus on is yeah. is we have this workforce that they can take advantage of, and I think that that's the scarier situation is that they're not interested in human rights because they're already not interested in it. They can just take advantage of the situation that we as humans have created. Well, and and you bring up a good point. You know, there, there are two schools of thought as far as we humans go as, as to an invading alien force. One would be that they're here to make us a better people that we've, we've screwed up the world as it is. They're here to correct us and, and put us on a good course that, that the rest of the, the universe is on this, for lack of a better term, it's on a love and light type uh, vibe and uh, everybody gets along in perfect harmony. We're the only ones that are warring monkeys and, and that we have to get on the right page, right? And then the, the second would be what you just stated, that they're here to mine us for resources and to use us as a resource and that maybe they've even had a hand in seeding us to use us as such resource. Um, so if you take those two schools of thought and you put them together, it's, it's curious to see what we've seen and the testimony that's been given, because it seems to me that 
in, in one respect, you have this technology that they've talked about in these hearings and in this great amount of technology that supposedly it's now being hinted at in the, in the hearings that we've maybe gotten a hold of this technology, possibly, possibly reverse engineered it, which is interesting. I mean, that's only been hinted at, not said, but hinted at, which if it's been hinted at, I think it's been done. I think it's interesting you bring that up because I recently started working um, because, as you know, writers uh, have a little bit of a a tight wallet. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've been working on the side uh, in AI and sort of refining the responses of these language models. And what I'm seeing is pretty impressive. Um, Sure, it could have been built entirely by humans, but... It's pretty. It's a pretty big jump from what we were, where we were at just a few years ago. Right. I mean, with with this introduction and and what we're seeing beyond language models with with video and stuff like that, our culture and society is going to be rapidly shifting because we're not even going to be able to trust what you hear on the phone, what you hear through radio, what you hear and see on on TV because you can doctor all these with deep fakes. I mean, you can do it right now, but imagine when it gets better. Yeah. That's, you know, it's, it's changing fast and, you know, it, who's to say, uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar here in Minnesota already introduced a deep fake bill. Uh, and I don't know if it was, I know on the local level here, uh, it had been introduced on in the on the Minnesota level. I don't know if it's been introduced on the national level. I think she might have introduced it on the national level. Um, and they're working very hard to get that through quickly, so where you, it would be prosecutable at least on a state level. It is here in Minnesota, starting I think I think it was already on August first um, that if you produce anything that infringes on someone's. Um, on anyone's likeness, on anyone's voice, on anyone's, uh, for lack of a better term, their copyright, okay, uh, as a deep fake, then you are, I forget what the fine was. There's, it's, it's considered a misdemeanor. I don't think it's a felony, but um, you're, it's, it's, uh, you're subjected to a fine and, and a small amount of jail time for, for each instance that that deep fake is used. Well, I, I think that's a great start, but I honestly don't think it goes far enough. Yeah. Uh, because it's just going to be anonymous. You can make these things anonymously, post them anonymous, anonymously, and distribute it anonymously. So I think it needs to be double-ended. I think if you're producing and distributing, that should be, you know, separate. And I think if you're even the consumer of some of these stuff, I think that there's, you know... I. I'm hesitant to say, you know, you know, punish the people viewing the content, but I think that that sort of framework may be necessary and, and important, important because if you're, if you're a viewer of, you know, something as, as, you know, sickening as, as CP, you're, you're in trouble for that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think if we value, you know, truth, honesty, um, and those sort of things, then we have to be really aggressively tackling the issue because 
you know, the distributor is just, just a part of this, you know, the creator and the distributor is just a small part of this. Right. And honestly, I, as I'm talking about it, I don't think there's really a solution. I think that this change is happening no matter what, because, you know, how do you target this on all ends and, and maintain, you know, what we, what we have, I, I don't think you can. So no, it's like this change was almost pushed through um, without any discussion, without any debate. Um, AI was here, and yeah, and, and it, it it you just it sort of came it. out of nowhere, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. And it was introduced, and there was no argument. There was no there was no way to to say I don't want it. Right. Um, it was just, and, and then there's, you know, quantum computers and stuff. And that's beyond what, what I have, you know, the ability to talk about that's, that's yeah. getting very, you know, advanced. Yeah. yeah same here. But, I, I couldn't tell you anything about a quantum computer. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. It's, it's becoming, you know, beyond what, what a normal person could, you know, fix or, or create themselves. So it, it is interesting. It is. And, and you're right. It does feel like that might've been something that was reverse engineered. I, it really does feel like reverse engineering of some sort of technology that there's no way we had access to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Very much so. Uh, MC, I tell you these, these hearings and, and, you know, this is one of the things I wanted to bring up about these hearings, which is interesting. And again, we'll, we'll get back to the Fermi's paradox side of things and the skeptical side of things, because I do want to I do want to bridge this gap. And maybe we'll do it in the second part of the program, uh, how we bridge that gap from skepticism to all of a sudden very much believing in what's going on. I want to talk to you about whistleblowers in particular, because uh, I want to talk and I want to talk about David Grosh, who's the center of the whistleblower uh, universe, for lack of a better term. David Grush first comes out in an article in the debrief and spills his guts. Then he's on News Nation and has an interview. Then we see him in front of Congress. Um, and pretty much sticks to the same story. Uh, he, uh, he's being called beyond reproach. He's worked for the government. Although his stories are secondhand, he's never experienced any of the other stuff firsthand. Uh, the stories he's gotten are from supposedly reliable government sources. However, uh, Representative Tim Burchett is saying that they can't get him in a skiff to get any of the names of, like, say, people. Sorry about that. My, I got to put an edit point here. My, my system froze. Um, oh, I thought it was my end. Sorry, no, no, keep that, going. That I, it my, froze on my end, that's too. Okay. All right, we'll go three, two, one. Okay. So, Representative Tim Burchett is saying that they can't get uh, David Grush in a skiff to review any of the pertinent information, including some of the whistleblowers who have been killed, which I find completely interesting. In fact, I had sent you a clip, and we played that clip yesterday. On, on Supernatural News, where Representative Burchett had some incredibly explosive audio that I have not seen in any other public forum, where he talks about some of the stuff that, that we've kind of shadowed a little bit here in, in our conversation, where he says that uh, you've got people behind the scenes who don't want this information out. They, they don't want some of the stuff that David Grush is talking about. 
that in the end, the reason that some of this technology, sh- they, that they don't want this technology out in the light of day is it's going to shut down big energy. Uh, you know, we won't have wars in the Middle East over oil because some of the energy from these UFOs and, and some of the energy sources that they can extract from these UFO or UAP or these craft that they're, they're recovering could essentially power cities. Right. And that, you know, that's just a small, small piece of it. I mean, it, from my, where we're, from where I'm sitting, I don't think it's anything new to say that, that the government has an interest in this. It's, it's how they make money. It's, it's how they, you know, tax businesses and individuals. And it's, it's a pretty sorry state when, when, um, the government can kill civilians and just keep going, but they've been doing it for decades. I mean, Trump publicly said he, he weaponized his, um, God, it's, it's escaping me at the moment. And he, he weaponized, uh, the secret service or FBI, I don't know, one of the branches, um, and, and killed an Antifa protester. And, you know, regardless of, of your, you know, political beliefs, I think it's pretty dangerous when, you know, the government can just publicly admit, admit that they assassinated a civilian and, and publicly is one thing, but I think that it happens a lot, you know, not publicly. So, I mean, it's pretty obvious that they have an interest to, to maintain the status quo and they don't want new emerging uh, technologies. I mean, we saw this with the electric car. We've heard about, you know, hydrogen powered cars, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. clean, clean energies like this. Um, clean in quotes, because there's always a side effect. I mean, even hydroelectric dams have, you know, a devastating impact on, you know, rivers and stuff like that. It's, it's clean energy, but, you know, there is a cost. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're just, they just have no incentive to improve things for individuals, which, which is sort of what I was getting at earlier, but it, it does make me a little bit, you know, pessimistic. And, and I think a lot of people feel the same way, you know, there was a a news article and and we've talked about it on the show um, many, many times. But it's sketchy, and I'll tell you why, MC. This is why it's sketchy. Um, I was watching uh, NBC News, and Lester Holt comes on, and he says that, and and I remember seeing it on CBS, I remember seeing it on ABC, I remember seeing it on different mainstream media broadcasts, that uh, that scientists had found a way to create laser, it was either laser, I think it was laser fusion, not fission, um, but enough to be able to create enough energy to power a small city or, or a, a medium-sized city, I, th- I think is what it was. But they're looking for a way to set up a power plant in order to do this. And the timeline given was 10 years. Now, in my mind, okay, I go to the conspiratorial side of this thing. And I say to myself, in my mind, you need 10 years not to build it because scientists have proven they can do it. Okay, so that throws that throws that out the window. They know they can do it. They can create, uh, in other words, energy or light without heat. 
which is, again, a, a Steve Vai quote. I'm a big Steve Vai fan. So they figured that out, and they probably have reversed engineered some sort of technology in order to do this, okay? So here's the other part of it. Why do we need 10 years? So you always follow the money on this, right? We need 10 years because it's not the scientists that need the 10 years to build the facility, which is what they stated on the news, that spin. They need 10 years because they need to figure out between the government and big energy how they're going to monetize this and who they're, what monopolies they're going to give this to. Right. How they're going to hand out the contracts and how they're going to switch over from fossil fuels to this laser fusion in order to get things going, much like they did with nuclear power. Well, I'm, I'm a little even more pessimistic about that. I think they need 10 years because they need to make the propaganda to say it's dangerous or, you know, it's, it, it can't be done. It'll hurt. It'll hurt too many people. You know, I, I think 10 years is, is going to become 20 years, become 30 years, become 40 years. And it's just going to keep getting pushed along because we're at a point where, you know, to, to build anything this, you know, innovative and groundbreaking, you're going to need a lot of capital. Mm -hmm. And when you have, the levers of control and power, you can, you know, well, work your magic on the system. The other part of it, too, is it's pretty cheap to produce. And so people are going to wonder, how are you going to jack my bill up with something that's cheap to produce? I mean, with fossil yeah. fuels, those are expensive because they're limited, supposedly. But with uh, with with lasers and, and light, those can be produced anywhere. So right. how, how do you how do you create um, how do you create create demand when you can't cut back the supply? The supply is plentiful, and this is why whistleblower protections are so important because somebody could leak that information so that you know small companies could could create this or individuals could create this and, and provide that service, but. They, they're not interested in protecting whistleblowers. I think, I think we're all pretty aware that, that whistleblower protections have been stripped away progressively. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it just makes me wonder why, why now the topic of UFOs, cause they, they didn't have to have this hearing. Um, they could have just dismissed this guy as a crank and, and it, it, I think the hearings for me raised more questions than provided answers. And what, uh, kind of, what kind of questions? I, I, I want to know from, from your perspective, what kind of questions are being raised with these hearings? Well, in my book, I think one of the, the, uh, one of the larger takeaways was, was kind of laying out the, the evidence that we can all agree on because the, the overall goal of my book was to unite people and, and to unite different beliefs. Mm-hmm. under one, you know, broad, you know, you know, slight differences, but, but we can be united on a lot of this. So one of the, one of the key takeaways from the book was that the government lies. I mean, we know this for a fact. I don't think I need to spend too much time laying this out. We, we know it and we know it clearly plain as day that they're entertaining these, these congressional hearings when the stigma has been so, you know, dismissive of the topic at all. And now, and now they're saying, Oh, actually we've known about this for a long time. It just highlights the lies. And, 
And my biggest question is why, why make this so evident for normal people? I mean, I guess what we're seeing culturally is just dismissing the the topic entirely and maintaining that status quo, you know, the, the previous, um, you know, beliefs about the topic. And so that, that's really my biggest question is, is why is my other question isn't quite so profound. It's, it's, how did this guy get the last name bird shit? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, that's a good question too. Interestingly enough, this, this morning, MC, I I had, um, I had one, one of our listeners commented on yesterday's supernatural news. Uh, his name's Dylan. And he said, just out of curiosity of the whistleblower talking about David Grush, he says, you don't think he's been told to say all of this by the CIA and is still an op for them. I don't think he's a true whistleblower. Seems way too comfortable for the information he's releasing. Which is an interesting perspective. That is that is a good, a good point because my key takeaway was that, is this guy a quack and is he, you know, does he have some other controversial history? I tried to look into him a little bit and I couldn't find anything obvious, but I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, it comes out in two weeks, he's been diagnosed with some ins- like insane schizophrenia or, or, you know, some, something that totally discredits him, you know, or, or he's been engaged in some sort of scheme. I, I, I don't yeah, know. I'm, 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 some I'm sort not of scandal or some sort of, yeah, some sort of scandal. Yeah. Yeah. But now the question is here, MC, when, when he gets discredited, because there's different ways that these whistleblowers disappear when he gets discredited is he discredited by let's just say put it this way is he discredited by the complex that runs things behind the scenes people call it a shadow government or no no the impression i get is that he's they have some idea of what he's been up to for some this is you know there's no evidence to to back this idea of what i'm about to say but it just seemed when he was talking, it just didn't seem like he was a guy you'd want to have a beer with. You know what I mean? Okay. Like he seems some about him's off. I don't know. And maybe I'm just being a little too critical here, but, but you, you do raise a good point. And I, I think it's sort of, you know, supporting that sort of idea in my mind that there's something that's going to emerge that, that just totally shifts the conversation well, and then everyone will be like, well, I told you we were all skeptical about it. So, yeah, you know, yeah. And, we and, warned you. And that takes the heat off of the, the actual hearings. Exactly. Um, the reason why, and, and it was something that representative Birch had said in that, that TMZ clip that I sent you. Um, it's the fact that he's saying that there's so much heat on on Grush, there's so much heat on him. The fact that he can't, that Burchett can't get clearance for Grush. And and the fact that you just said what you said right there means one of two things. Grush used to have military clearance. He used, and he doesn't. And yeah. he doesn't. So if they aren't going to give Grush clearance, that means one of two things. Either one, like you just stated, there's something in his background that has changed since he and he only left government service last year so either 
he's done something in the time he's been in government service that causes red flags that they don't want to give him clearance enough to get into a skiff to give uh, Congress the information that they require. Or um, it's as simple as they're playing a game with Congress and they don't want to give Grush the clearance because they know that Grush, like Burchett said, knows where the bodies are buried and they don't want that information out. Now, either way, it comes down to this and, and back me up here. If, if you think this is accurate, whistleblowers never live very long. If the information is accurate and here's my, here's my other theory here, MC, if Grush is who he says he is, if he has the information he says he has, sure, they're not going to off him right away. It's not going to happen because then it's too obvious. He'll live for a few years to the point where he becomes obscure because stars fade and spotlights dim. So eventually, three, four years down the line, you find out that he dies of a quote-unquote drug overdose or he gets caught in a compromising position with somebody and they accidentally shoot him or some weird coincidence happens where it looks like it's an unseemly, you know, type event. We'll put it that way. And then somebody in authority can say, well, see, we told you so. We told yeah, you no, this guy. No, no. So I think you're a hundred percent correct. I think that if this guy was credible, they would never have given him the time of day. Um, credible whistleblowers don't get major coverage like this. And so I think I think you're you're on the right track. I hundred percent agree with what you're what you're laying down here. Yeah. So I I worry, and that either way, I don't think this comes up very good. Whether if if Grush is a credible whistleblower, I don't think this works out well for him in in the next couple of years. I think he thought I can I can hide in plain sight, and I can give this information, and we can move this thing forward. If he's not a credible whistleblower, then I think this just hurts the cause that much more. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, I, I, I'm a, definitely on the skeptical side. Critic, you know, highly critical of of everything I hear. Um, I, I just the questions that I had watching the hearing, it just. <sighs> Yeah, I, I think you're 100% right. I don't really have much to add. I do think it's interesting that um, there wasn't a weaponization and there was sort of a bipartisan agreement um, and sort of the, the line of questioning. You know, the left was pretty much saying and asking the same things and the same showing the same interest as the right. And... The little maybe a little paranoid here, but when that sort of bipartisan ship comes through, I think it can only hurt the larger, you know, the people as a whole. I, I, I don't think that our representatives do a good job. Is is sort of what I'm getting at. And so when they unite, well, they, I, I can, I, you know, I can disagree with you respectfully here, MC. I, I, I think that. You know, we haven't always had this divide in this country with with, with both sides. In fact, uh, you know, I'm I'm an old man. <laughs> you know, I'm 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 in my fifties, and I remember a time in this country when 
and and I've worked both sides of the spectrum in, in radio, um, you know, in, in the old days and in, in, in both sides of the, the, the coin as far as talk radio goes. Doesn't mean I affiliate with either side. Um, but I can tell you this. I remember a time where both sides of the aisle would, it, it's kind of like, I'll put it this way to you, MC. It's kind of like professional wrestling. They get, they get in the, into the house or Senate chambers. They argue it out. They get in front of the cameras and, and they, they tell you that they're, they're siding on one side and boy, I really hate that guy across the aisle. And then when the cameras turn off, they all go for a beer and they laugh and slap each other on the back. And, oh, if, yeah. and if you think it isn't that way, you guys are all mistaken. Um, they all really like each other behind the scenes. Uh, but the, the, the deal here is that there's a reason why they can team up on stuff like this. And that is because of that. They do all really like each other and they do all have common goals uh, to get done for the country. And let's face it, if this is a real threat, if this alien thing is a real threat, then yeah, then they're 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 all afraid for their lives. I think they're and I I'm of a mind of this, and it's this. I honestly don't think the House and Senate know anything about an alien threat. I don't think they're privileged to know anything about it. I think there is much in the dark as you and I, and. I think the president knows and I think he's told to keep his mouth shut for fear of maybe, I don't know, running into a stray bullet in Dallas somewhere or (laughs) something like that. Um, I think that's why every president that's ever promised disclosure is shut up and, and never comes through. That's right. right. Because I think there's a military complex there that knows and says, Mr. President, be very quiet. We have a good thing going here, and you you can't you can't say anything. What whatever it is, when we may never know. Um, but the fact that in legislation, the House and Senators saying we're going to force you to tell us everything, I think is the biggest joke that's ever been been written on any parchment paper that's come out of the House and Senate. There's just no way they could force anybody who's a career, a career government employee to turn over information to someone who's an elected official and is going to be gone in four to six years. It doesn't seem realistic to me. Yeah, it is. It is interesting to see people in privileged uh, positions sort of on the same page and and willing to take um an approach that we've never really seen before on, on a topic that's not really discussed. So yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah. And, and I, I just think that this is the one topic that scares both sides of the aisle because if it's a real threat, they can't do a thing about it. Right. And it, it should be scary, but you know, I, I, for some reason I think people can be, you know, so delusional in these positions that they think that they have, the ability to, yes. to navigate it. Yes. And, you know, I think if, if something can travel faster than the speed of light or, or get here from, from so many light years away with no issues, it, it doesn't look too good for us. You know what I mean? No, like, no, there's not. And this, and follow me here in this MC with all the problems we do have 
in our world right now and all the things that they can't solve and all the things that they can't get together on both sides, this is the one thing they can get together and say when it's time to go back to their constituents that they can say, hey, well, you know what? At least I got together on the UFO thing. Yeah, you know, it, it would be, I would be more interested in them, you know, doing things that that help us in the short term. You know, this. I think this is more of a long-term issue because I, I still think it's going to take time if there is some sort of organized, um, you know, effort on, on, on this. But yeah, I sort of rambling here but no 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 yeah i i get completely what you're saying there completely what you're saying i tell you what let's take a break here when we come back i want to i want to focus a little bit on the book i also want to find out what you're doing with these three horror novels uh, this is oh yeah this is i'd be happy well. to talk about it they're still yeah. in the early stages but yeah i think we can talk about it yeah 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 we'll, we'll get a little a little teaser a little taste That's, cool yeah yeah absolutely Excellent. Uh, the book is out there right now, folks. I want you to check it out. It's called The Illustrated Guide to Fermi's Paradox, Why We Don't Observe Alien Life Throughout the Universe. When we come back, we'll talk about the earlier days, the days before the hearings, the arrow hearings, and why, and first of all, who was Fermi? We'll talk about that, Enrico Fermi. And we'll talk about different theories as to why aliens would even want to stop by this planet are we the Nebraska of the universe? Are we a truck stop on the way to other planets? Or is there actually something here for them to, to actually want? We, we teased it a little bit in the beginning of the program. But we'll, we'll talk about, from a skeptical side, whether aliens actually want anything to do with us. Uh, again, the link to the book is in the description of this program, The Illustrated Guide to Fermi's Paradox, Why We Don't Observe Alien Life Through the throughout the universe uh pick that book up during the break when we come back more with mc henry right after this on the best in paranormal podcasting this is darkness radio Welcome back to the Best in Paranormal Podcasting. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Our guest is MC Henry. The book is the illustrated guide to Fermi's Paradox, Why We Don't Observe Alien Life Throughout the Universe. Before the break, uh, we were teasing you a little bit about life before the arrow hearings and the fact that science was absolutely skeptical when it came to the fact that life was even out there. And uh, we were going to tell him a little bit about Enrico Fermi. Let's let's talk, uh, MC, a little bit about uh, that scientist, uh, Dr. Fermi. And, and what was it about him that was so special? Well, he was a pretty uh, ahead of his time is 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 a is a, uh, you know, I think that's being too modest. He was a when he was a student, he would lead his professors and lectures Um he was one of the first people in in theoretical physics that that was really pushing the boundaries. Um, he's credited with uh, nuclear energy, nuclear bombs. Um, although he, I don't think he intended his research to be used for bombs. Um, but the reason why this sort of topic of aliens is referred to as Fermi's paradox is because he was one of the first people who looked at the topic of aliens through a 
really scientific lens. He used, um, you know, his understanding of economics, statistics, and physics to sort of start the conversation. And he was one of the first people who gave this conversation credibility in the first place. He wasn't the first person to do this, but he was the first person with his, um, I guess we'll say status um, and expertise to really tackle this this topic outside of just the conspiracy theory realm and more into the scientific side, okay. um, which is pretty interesting, I think. Yeah, most definitely. Because when you when you take a look at it and you bring it up brilliantly in the book, there are you know billions of stars. There are star systems everywhere. You put it out scientifically. With that much out there, there there would certainly, you would think, have to be life out there. Not just billions. I mean, we're talking, you know, shift over from trillions to quadrillions and, and maybe even, you know, hundreds of quadrillions. I don't have a figure in front of me right now. But sure. but with all these stars and all these, these you know, planets, um, moons orbiting, there's a lot of potential for, you know, the, the things that we you know, think that could create life as we know it, um, you know, atmosphere, magnetosphere, phosphorus, water, all, all these ingredients that, that we take for granted here. Um, they're everywhere out there in the universe. So from a statistical perspective, you know, how unlikely, I mean, we're talking in probability sense that earth shouldn't exist. If, if there's no life elsewhere mm-hmm. in a probability sense, we're talking like 0. 0.0000, you know, drive that all the way over the chances of that, you know, if I'm a betting man, I'm, I'm not putting my, my money on that. So, <laughs> so, uh, for me was, was the guy to look at this through statistics and say, this just doesn't make sense, you know, given the size Um, So he started to theorize about why we don't observe aliens um, or at least why we don't observe them consistently and and concretely. Yeah. And, you know, that that brings up some really good points and some points I want to get into now as to why we don't observe them, because I think this is this has got to be the most frustrating part of our space program, the most frustrating part of uh, our scientific programs in America. And we're pretty grandiose when it comes to what we think we're going to send out into the universe and that we're going to get a response to. Um, we've done some pretty grandiose things, everything from, you know, putting out craft with records on them uh, and videos that we think, we're, well, we'll put it out in different languages and surely our earthly languages are going to be good enough for, for any alien to understand. Uh, MC, tell me why we're so grandiose about what it is we put out there. Well, I think that the one of the biggest things that that is difficult for us to wrap our minds around is just how big the universe is. I mean, just looking at our our solar system, you know, the things that orbit the sun. This is huge distances that we can't really travel very easily to the you know these distant regions. Um, we can't even research these distant regions very well with our, with our instruments and telescopes. Um, so, so the idea that we could, you know, travel to, a, our closest star, you know, our co- closest, uh, neighboring star system, 
um, it, it's going to take light years and we don't even have the technology to move that fast. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, I think it just, we have to humble ourselves and in, in looking at this and say, we're just not there yet, you know, and, and maybe, you know, maybe we have detected stuff and, and the government's covering it up, you know, that's, that's a very, you know, common idea, but, but I think the more interesting um, way to look at this is, is, you know, through other scientific lenses, um, whether it's, you know, biology, chemistry, physics, my favorite economics, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that's sort of where uh, Enrico laid, laid his, his belief, you know, his, his thoughts on the matter is that if, if you, you know, imagine we, we do get the technology to visit distant stars and we, and we do get the, you know, ability what are we going for? You know, is it to mine resources? Cause we can find, you know, meteors much closer or, or, you know, other planets with all the resources that, that we would want, you know, water, um, is a big one. Uh, you get rare minerals. That's another one. That's abundant. You can get that anywhere. Sure. So I think that what, what that leaves is biological material or, you know, some sort of, I see I'm hesitant to say that that we would even go to exploit you know like some sort of biological system or use that to our advantage because or aliens would be interested in that because at the, we're at the point where we could potentially start creating these resources ourselves through you know like fusion mm-hmm. or bombard you know doing a hadron collider bombarding particles into elements and and creating new elements um we you know we're i the economics of 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 this question is is really you know the biggest monkey wrench in in our challenge to find life in the universe and of course there's a there's a, a lot of things to consider that probably play a factor like the amount of time it might take for, for society to emerge elsewhere in the universe. If that time frame lines up with our time frame, cause we're talking, you know, billions and, and maybe even trillions of years. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so there's just all these, all these theories of, of, of why it would be more difficult. And I think when you take them in combination and look at them, you know, if you read the book and, and and you see all these, you know, things you have to consider, it's a lot. And and the idea that the government is is hiding this evidence, mm-hmm. I think it, it there probably is some truth to that, but it's low on the list compared to all these other things you have to consider even before that. Yeah, you know, there's there's one other theory here which I think we, you know. We didn't have, infer- you know, when when Fermi was making these these hypotheses, but but um, we have now today, and that is, you know, we are slowly draining our resources from the planet, and we do now need to find. Sad as it is to say, we may need to find in the next fifty years another planet in which we need to transport some of our people off planet to to find new worlds. I mean, it sounds like a Star Trek uh, type. Uh, situation where we need to find new worlds in order to survive that we're we're literally choking the planet off with overpopulation and that we do need to move people 
um, and that we we haven't controlled our own population. We've become a virus on the planet and need to move. Um, and I don't think Fermi saw that. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's something that was considered. I mean, if we don't address this this major, you know, crisis, um, it's we're looking at an extinct species because I don't think we can survive on another planet. Personally, I mean, they're looking at Mars, at the Moon. I've heard um, we can't survive there. No, I mean, no. It, it's a Mars has toxic soil. I mean, what are we? What are you going to do with that? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The moon has no atmosphere and, and your bones will turn to jelly and, and they're finding all these other health defects. You get your eyes stop working, you know, Yeah. because the pressure is not, you know, it's not what it is on earth. Um, it, if we do, if we don't fix it, that's the solution to the Fermi's paradox is that intelligent quote unquote species, they damage themselves they end up killing themselves through you know advancements um or they just limit limit their growth like what we see with um you know space debris where we put satellites up into the atmosphere i mean think about this zero gravity things colliding into each other scattering debris everywhere it's creating a network a web of of missiles. I mean, these things are traveling faster than you can imagine, faster than bullets. And they're just, you can't launch a spaceship through that at a certain point, the networks of, of debris crashing into each other, even a tiny little piece of, of metal. I mean, that'll tear through anything yeah. at that speed. Yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, it seems to me, that humans at least and and probably other intelligent species that that develop technology they end up limiting their chances of finding life in the universe i think that's that's the nicest way to put it very true very true and then we look at things from the alien side um there's some interesting theories here and one of the theories i i told you i wanted to take umbrage with uh and having to do with a fishbowl i have three fish upstairs um from from my studio um but whether and it's the debate of whether aliens really truly see us or not or or how they see us i want to get into this a little bit too um you know if you if you listen to the the arrow hearings and and the things going on there it's debatable as if they see us as anything at all and 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 i want to point this out too real quick mc before we go any further they're not really going real deep in the hearings you know we're we're only talking about just encounters with craft we're not talking about whether anything has gotten out of these craft or whether we've had actual encounters with aliens um or even abduction. Abduction hasn't come up in any of these hearings. No, and I, I don't think you will hear about any of these. Um, but but it's interesting you bring that up. Um, maybe I was a little too hard on the fish. I think maybe <laughs> a better name for for this is maybe like the ant farm theory yes, or something like that, where yeah. where it's very obvious that, that there's no communication between the two species. Yeah. You know they we look down on a lot of intelligent animals. I mean, I mean the amount of uh, intelligence that, that, you know, biology on earth displays is pretty profound. I mean, 
even mice and 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 um, crows uh, display an impressive amount of intelligence. Pigs, uh, especially, um, you know, dogs. There's so many things where you're. It's clear that there's communication happening between these these things. But an alien who does not share any of the biology you'd find on Earth, um, you know, would would have would have nothing in common, uh, you know, like uh, we, we have shared biology with, with pretty much everything on the planet. And, and still there's this difficulty. So, and, and then look at what we've done when we visit other humans. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we subjugate, we, we murder, you know, it's, it's, it's horrific what human beings are capable of. Or and we're supposed yeah. to be, yeah. you know, we're supposed to be the, the, the peak Right. So imagine something more intelligent and, and thinking it's superior to us visiting. They're not going to even recognize us as intelligent. I don't think I think and they're not even going to think they can communicate that, you know, what are they going to do? Try to do sign language with with, you know, would you try to do sign language with a whale or or, you know, it's 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 very difficult to bridge these communication gaps and the gaps that we experience are tiny. I mean, if you try, True. you can't communicate with a lot of these animals. Although, although I'll give you a good example. You're going to laugh at me. My audience knows this. I have trained chipmunks in the front yard. Oh, no, I, 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 I believe it. I'm a big yeah. animal rights guy. And, and I have a pet bunny. He, he, yeah, uh, yeah. he comes have, when he's called. Yeah, we have, he's, a, we have a bunny, too, in the, in the yard. We yeah, have a mama and two babies. A, yeah. Yeah, he's he's free range. He he's got a personality. He's a bit of a bully. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in in people understand it better when when you bring up the example of dogs and cats. Um, there's this awesome toy I've seen dogs play with where where you um, put words, you program words into these buttons they press, and you lay yes. them all out. Yeah, and they can say like mom go walk now beach or what, you know, whatever they're stringing sentences together, which is, I I mean, 20 years ago, this, this is unheard of. Um, but we, the communication is there. So it's pretty incredible, but an alien coming to visit, you know, who knows how they communicate. Maybe it's telepathic. Maybe it's through smells, you know, something that we couldn't even understand as language. True. But let me ask you this. Now, now I had an interesting conversation with my podiatrist. I know you're going to think this is weird. Um, We talk about all kinds of things because I, every, I see him every week. Okay. So we've gotten to know each other pretty well. And there's times where I have to get out of a cast. So I'm there for an hour. So there's a lot of time to talk. And one of the things that he and I have talked about, which, again, I'm talking with a medical doctor, is he says to me, well, you know, Tim, we weren't really even built for this atmosphere. We weren't built for this planet. And I go, whoa, this is coming from my podiatrist? (laughs) But you think of it, and and this isn't the first time this theory has ever been thrown out. Think of it for a second here, MC. When you talk about a gorilla or an ape jumping from a tree, they jump from a tree, they're never injured. You or I jump from a tree. What happens? We're done for. Those knees are gone. That's right. <laughs> because it seems like we're not built for this atmosphere. Well, that's that's interesting you bring that up. Um, people think that evolution works 
I mean, evolution is pretty much a proven thing. You can do it with flies in a few generations. They're born without wings. Mm -hmm. So the evidence is there. I'm I'm not going to entertain a debate about evolution, but evolution doesn't work in in refining a species to the to their peak potential okay. what it does is it throws stuff at the wall and then if something works it sticks and what a, a lot of what sticks isn't really great <laughs> so okay. i think what you we we can draw we can use some examples like panda bears going extinct they're not really suited for survival there's there's some obvious flaws in their design mm-hmm. um uh, you know, there's there's a lot of things that the animals that we look down on because they don't have you know thumbs, you know, something very basic for manipulating their surroundings. You know, we didn't get these things because we because biology works to just you know make something as efficient or as as powerful as possible. What it, what it does is it just you know, if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, you know, we'll, you'll find out later. Yeah. Yeah. I get, I got you. I got you. So are you open to the thought that maybe just maybe our species didn't start out on this planet, that maybe it was oh, transformed from another or maybe from yeah, another alien race? I have a sort of a bizarre take on this that maybe your viewers haven't heard before. Um, and it, and it comes from a science, uh, an experiment that NASA did where they, they took, uh, I think it was like bacteria and viruses and, and some simple organisms. And what they did was they put it on the outside of a space shuttle, unprotected from the from any shielding. Okay. They were just exposed to the vacuum of space. And they saw what could survive. And they found out that there was some things that survived. So in a sense, they created aliens or at least proved that it could have occurred. So imagine, imagine you're on a planet with simple life, you know, very, you know, single celled organisms or whatever. Mm-hmm. A meteor comes, hits the other side of the earth and it blasts, um, like a billiard ball blasts some ocean water out into space. And in those droplets, in those particles, is life and it freezes and it travels throughout the universe. Okay. And, and this, is, this is sort of an idea that uh, life can be seeded elsewhere. And I think that this probably occurs. Um, and, of course, you'll never hear about, you know, a, a comet that, that has life on it. You'll never hear that announced, I don't think. Right. Because <laughs> that right. would be the paradigm. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, it's very common. And I don't think it's unheard of to say that you know, we could have radically different biology that maybe evolved over thousands of years on earth, but, but was originally something else. And that sort of brings us back to the, the issue of Fermi's paradox. Where does it all start? You know, abiogenesis is this idea that life can just spawn out of, out of nothing. Maybe it can, maybe it can't. And, and that's where a lot of the debate comes from. Um, but I think that after it starts, I think it can spread. So, you know, it, yeah, I, I, I believe you. And, and probably the best example is, uh, there's a sea slug that can photosynthesize and wow. it's pretty interesting. It doesn't have to eat. It just, 
gets energy from the sun and it's a living, you know, animal. So it's, it's radically different from the biology you've seen on, on earth and what you'd expect. Yeah. Uh, But these things can kind of emerge and happen. So yeah, I, I'll, I'll entertain that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, keep the options open, I guess (laughs) that's for sure. (laughs) Well, and that's, I think that's where the, a lot of the, the arguments and debates come from is everyone has their, their different ideas and they're not willing to see common ground. And I think that's what something that if you read the book, you'll, despite anyone, any of your listeners' beliefs, I think that they'll see that there's more common ground than differing opinions. Yeah. And, yeah. and that was my criticism. That one of the reasons I wrote the book is, is I was seeing other people talk about the topic and they had so many they were so disorganized. They were, they were throwing theories at the wall saying like, Oh, maybe it's a, maybe this can all be explained by a flying spaghetti monster or, (laughs) or whatever. Yeah. And it, and just throwing, throwing stuff and they're not, they're not doing justice to this topic because they're not classifying and categorizing these beliefs into different belief systems. So the idea that a giant spaghetti monster is controlling anything, everything is no different than the belief in God. And it's no different than the belief in simulation theory, which is also a, a faith-based idea. I don't know if your listeners are, are familiar with this, this idea. Explain, explain. Um, okay. So, so simulation theory is, it's sort of uh, was born out of the realm of computing and, and how computing has, has advanced, how simulations have advanced and how, how we're being able to simulate whole worlds at this point. I mean, I have a, I have a PlayStation. I, I play simulations all the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it is that eventually they'll become so good that they'll be indistinguishable from real life with, with little characters that have personalities programmed and stuff like that. Yeah. And the idea is if we can reach that point, who's to say that it hasn't already happened. And we were part of a simulation that's, went from caveman days all the way to current days. Gotcha. Okay. And, and it's sort of this repeating cycle with the idea being that there's a creator, you know, a God, a God like entity entity or something who has created this program. And, and now we're all inside of it, which, okay. which is interesting. And it's, it's hard to prove or disprove, Yeah, but you know, it's no different than the, than a faith-based belief system. And it's honestly not too different than than scientific based um, belief systems, which is what the point of my book was: is is say, hey, we have this common ground. We all believe there's something out there. I think that's what you'll notice when I categorize these things. Yep, is there's this huge category of of things that um that we can all agree on, or at least you know partially agree on. Yeah, and the and the areas where we disagree. It's really just left for the, the nihilists who, who say we're alone a hundred percent. We're just, we're just special. You know, we're not, we're, 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 we're narcissists. We're proud. We're just the best, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, we're the only thing that could ever exist out there. Right. And so that group is much smaller than, than you'd think. Um, and so and, and I think that's what the book highlights. And then there's also these these additional theories. I don't know if you got to the end of, yeah. of things. So 
abstract and complex that it's like it's hard to you know yeah it's hard to imagine what a fourth dimensional being is or looks like or or you know if if we're within that then what's the point of even trying to classify this or if we are just a boltzmann brain um which maybe i'm not qualified to explain i think maybe your readers should just read that part that that one gets very complex i think so yeah and you know it again it's very smartly written I mean, you, you've done you. an excellent job with this book and, and, and laying it out so that anybody of any, I don't want to insult anybody's intelligence, but anybody of any intelligence level can pick this up and go, I get it. I, I get the concepts. And these are concepts where if you're sitting in high school or college and you're trying to pick up the, the concept, you might just, your eyes might roll back in your head and you might glaze over. Yeah. 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 But I gotta, I gotta interject. What did you think of the, uh, the illustrations? Cause they, they were trying, I tried to relate it to, I love it. That's the thing. Yeah, you that, like the illustrations? I wanted, okay. I wanted to get into I, that with, with people that, that there's a reason it's the illustrated guide is because you've included uh, illustrations in between each, chapter and and illustrated out uh the meaning of each chapter which is really cool you've got like a little i don't want to call it a cartoon jesus no they're car- they're definitely little comics yeah and, and yeah, yeah. And what's funny is that actually it's sort of this uh what's the it's sort of this loop back into fermi's original uh original uh a birth of the fermi's paradox the whole conversation started over a cartoon. Um, They were looking at a comic strip, him and his physicist peers. Mm -hmm. And it was about this alien, uh, something about a flying saucer. And they were all laughing at it, you know, passing it around. And he actually was like, well, hold on, where are the aliens? And that's where it really started is, is really with a comic. So I think it, it kind of beautifully, relates and and ties into it itself i'm glad you like the illustrations i wasn't sure if they would land or if they would be funny or entertaining they or anything. they're very entertaining and and there's there's one particular little alien character who he's kind of a little discombobulated but he's got you know his little body and his little head and in the little antenna and you see him throughout the different cartoons and and it's it's very endearing it's very cute i i i really did enjoy him yeah i I kind of look forward to him at the end of every chapter, actually. So, right, right. Yeah. He makes common appearances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, yeah. my favorite one was the uh, space debris one where he's in the NASA space suit. Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that one's very good. Very smug looking. I, that one was my favorite. Yes, very much so. So, yeah, it's it's a very, very good book. And, and again, folks, I encourage you to to click on the link in the description of this program and pick it up. It's... it's uh, it answers a lot of questions you might have as far as, um, you know, different different theories as to to and scientific theories as to what's believed as far as whether aliens exist, why they're out there, what scientists believe as far as uh, alien life and what's out there, and it expands your horizons when it comes to. Um, alien life and the existence of alien life out there and what it is they're lo- out there looking for. You know, I, I think yeah. a lot of times we sit at home and we, we see an, a news article about, Oh, you know, such and such a telescope found this world today and you go, well, that's nice. Uh, and yeah. ooh, it's pretty. That's basically the end of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. look at the pretty world or, Ooh, look at the pretty uh, star system. And then you go by, about your regular life, but you don't realize what it is they're looking for. 
And hopefully, yeah, hopefully your, uh, your listeners, if they, if they choose to pick this up, hopefully I think, well, I think that everyone can walk away with, with something from it, whether it's entertainment value or whether it's learning something new, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of people, you know, say in the reviews. Yeah. Um, but I think it highlights the importance of a scientific lens and perspective when talking about this, mm-hmm. because, you know, I could come in here and, and lie and say, oh, no, I've seen them I, and, and they're buff or, you know, whatever. I, I could just yeah. ramble on, make up a story. Yeah. And it doesn't really enhance the conversation. It doesn't leave any learning. Um, you know, I'm just I'm just taking up your brain cells for something that, you know, may or may not even be true. Right. And so I think it's really important to have this, this scientific lens. Um, yes, exactly. Something I I really wanted to talk in the book, but it was, it was a little controversial and and hard to really cover adequately. I mentioned it. Um, the, the conspiracy side and the propaganda side are pretty closely linked, which was something I was surprised to learn about. Um, I learned that uh, that in, that uh, Nazi Germany was one of the first UFO yes. prop- propagandists. Yep. Um, and you may have heard this before about an alien species that's tall, strong, blonde hair, blue eyes. Yes. You, is this ringing any bells? Oh, does yes. that yes, yes. Does that set yeah. off any alarm bells? Any yeah. red flags? Yeah. Very, it sounds very much like uh, very Aryan. Yeah. Yeah, very Aryan and yeah. very uh, eugenics based. Yeah. Um, yeah, and these I- these ideas can have long lasting impacts. And um, I was reading other authors on the topic, and I don't think they recognize this. And and I, I'm you know hesitant to call them white supremacists, but the way they were covering some of this stuff was pretty shocking and and didn't have a lot of insight. So that was one of the main. Uh, reasons where i was like i i have to tackle this it's it's actually important that race of aliens is now referred to as the nordics i yeah i didn't want to say it but yeah no it's, you're, it's you're very interesting abs- where where that idea comes from you can absolutely bring it up uh it, you know it's I, I mean it's 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 um although there's there's a controversy as to whether they're good or not or or, or, or bad as far as a, as a race goes i've heard that uh, as, as far as an alien race, I've heard that the, and you know, I'll get plenty of emails from, from listeners. Uh, I've heard that the reptilians are either good or bad, uh, depending on who deals with them. I've also heard that the, the Nordics are good or bad, depending on who deals with them. I've heard that the Nordics are peaceful race that are looking out for mankind and are trying to help us rebuild. I've also heard that the Nordics are, uh, are duplicitous and that they, 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 act like they're good, but then they are actually looking to tear down mankind. I don't know. Well, you'd, you'd want to market them well, if, especially if it is based in sort of an, you know, eugenics perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd want to, you'd want good marketing. You'd want to want them to be, you know, benevolent and, you know, here for the good of mankind. But if that's the case, how come they're not visiting Africa or, you know, right. Uh, right. areas that could really, you know, benefit from some benevolent alien forces why are they only stopping in germany you know (laughs) right right i just know this much mc none of them have shown up to my my house for dinner exactly yeah yeah none of them have shown up um i'm trying to remember the ones that were seen in vegas were tall but they didn't mention that they had i'm trying to remember what color hair they had i don't remember 
the the description, but they were big. I don't think they were blonde haired though. Weren't they gray? I, I, yeah, I, I, think rec- I remember yeah. what they were, you were talking about lanky and gray. I, mm-hmm. I, I do remember this. Yeah, I think they were. Um, yeah. That phone call was wild. That guy didn't seem worried at yeah. all. <laughs> no. Yeah. He was, he, like I said, he had a shit and pants on. He was, he was definitely uh, scared. And who wouldn't be though? I mean, you know, anybody who tells me, oh, no, I would have been cool as a cucumber. Uh, cool as the other side of the pillow. Bullshit, man. Come on. Uh, anybody who sees three aliens, 10, 19 foot aliens walking around playing with your backhoe in the backyard, I, I would have been shitting myself. I, honest to I'm God. frightened when, it, when a deer sneaks up on me when I'm working in the yard. I, I mean... Yeah, if it was an alien, I'd I'd be yeah, I'd be crapping and yeah everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you can't you can't say to me you wouldn't you wouldn't be alarmed or at least startled. I mean, come on. Yeah, even the most steely eyed soldier would turn around and go, "Oh shit," (laughs) you know. (laughs) Um, And they do. I mean, you 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 talk to experiencers, and they all they all have some sort of you know, trepidation or fear or, I mean, come on. So, you know, the fact that people tell me, oh, no, I'd be pretty cool about it. No, you wouldn't. I mean, you say that now, but you wouldn't. You just wouldn't. Yeah, and there's there's an important uh, aspect to both sides, I think. I think you can get too far into the science. I think you can get too far into the experience side. Um, I think if, if you want to have credibility and kind of reach people, I think you have to have a balance of both. Yeah. Um, because I mean, science, the scientific process is what lends credibility to, to what people are speaking of. So right. I think, you know, just considering that is, is an important consideration, I guess. Real quick, uh, just wrapping up the, the alien talk here. And then I want to, I want to get to the, the horror stuff you're doing. Cause that's really intriguing. Um, as far as the, in the book, you, you'd mentioned that, you know, as far as the scientific stuff goes, do we really have the resources they're looking for? It's always been argued that, that, well, you know, when we talk about, um, USOs or submersible objects, um, maybe they keep underwater bases. Maybe they, they dive down into the oceans that, that they're, they're using these oceans uh, for one reason or another. And maybe the fact that we have so much water on this world that they're using maybe saline or they're using, you know, uh, some sort of combination of salt water or something to power vehicles or doing something with it in, in that vein. I don't know. We, we use our human minds to try and figure out something that's not human. Um, that maybe water is part of their deal or their gig. Um, We try to fit a human peg into an alien hole. I know that sounds dirty. I'm sorry. Um, But (laughs) the probers are going to like that. They're right there. They're going to love that one. Uh, But there's, you point out something in the book, which to me makes complete sense. And that's this. We do come from a grandiose standpoint saying, well, they must need us for something. But the truth is, maybe they don't need us for a thing. Maybe we're an intergalactic rest stop. Maybe we are Nebraska. They're just coming through through an, a, a world that has nothing to offer. But they just need a place to literally crash. Um, and, yeah. and you know, somewhere to, to stop over on their way to another planet. What do you think yeah, about that? It is somewhat narcissistic to think that way. And, um, 
it's funny you have the the Timmy behind you, the South Park character. Yeah, my Timmy they, lunchbox. They had an episode yeah. where um, aliens were using were uh, using Earth as entertainment as as mm-hmm. this like intergalactic TV show. Yeah, I love Even that episode. That yeah. is a stretch. I think. I think when you get to a certain point, um, especially with what we're seeing with AI being able to to simulate stuff, I don't even think you need like to see reality TV at that point, I think you can just sort of create a better version of it. Sure. Um, sure. Although I, I do think there's something about reality TV that, that it's, it's primal and it, it's, it's something that we can hold on to in a world that's so manufactured and every, all entertainment is so, you know, presented in this precise way. I think there is something, authentic about that so so maybe you know maybe there is something to that theory where where this this is raw entertainment for them um maybe but it is it's 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 hard for me to wrap my my brain around the the idea that they would have any interest at all i mean other than perhaps the original discovery um and maybe a little bit of additional research to to you know Mm -hmm. understand the nuance but I think at that point, when you're finding life throughout the universe, you see more similarities than you see unique um, aspects to life. I think that if we started traveling the planets and, and finding alien life, you know, it'd be very interesting at first. But by about the sixth or seventh planet, I mean, what it's all the same thing at, yeah. the, at that point. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're starting to wrap up today, MC. Um Boy, you got me intrigued. You've got three different horror projects you're working on. Can we tease people a little bit as to what, what's going on there? I don't want to reveal too much, but we okay. can talk a little bit about it. Sure, yeah, um, let's, let's. So so the one that's probably most um, defined, so my process is, is probably a little different than, than most other authors, especially in the horror space. Um, a lot of authors and movie writers and stuff focus on the experience and, um, you, you know, the thrills, the shock. I'm more interested in the deeper stuff, the subtext, um, the analogies, the allegories, the metaphors. Mm-hmm. So, so for this book, um, I don't know if I, it's even properly classified as a horror. It has horror elements, but maybe more of a thriller horror. Um, and it's dealing with uh, themes of justice. Okay. Uh, we talked about justice a little bit uh, earlier. You know, we've, we broached on it. Um, and so I won't really want to do a, a Socratic approach, um, really digging into what justice means. And if you've taken, you know, any philosophy on the, on the, on the topic, you know, that there is no consensus and there can't ever be a consensus because there is a difference between, or there's a, there's a clear divide between the two main overarching um, groups that everything falls under where you have on one side, uh, people who, who value individual, uh, rights and liberties as, as, um, unalienable for lack of better words. You can't, you can't alienate these rights. Um, and on the other side, you have more of a utilitarian approach where it says, okay, well, 
some things need to, you got to break some eggs to make a good omelet, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, there's flaws in both. Um, There, there's, I mean, there's no agreement between these two schools of thought because on one hand you can have, you know, someone who, who values, uh, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and uses that to trample over other people's rights. And we, we understand that this is morally wrong, but yet it, you can't go full, fully on the other side either because the utility, utilitarian approach has horrible outcomes as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what the consensus is that is human nature is, is deeply flawed. So this book is dives into human nature um, and, and really focuses uh, on justice. I don't want to give away too much about it so that you know nobody steals my my yeah uh, of course of course my specific right. thing. But yeah. um, it's going to deal with a character who who this this may sound familiar, but a character who has uh, come into a tremendous amount of power and can exert their own ideas of justice on the world. Okay. Um, you may have heard of similar stories like the, the ring of Gyges. Uh, I probably mispronounced that. It's a very old, old story, Lord of the Rings with the ring of power. Okay. Um, there's a lot of, of stories that have tackled the, this theme, but, but I think that, uh, my approach is going to be a little different and hopefully, has something unique about it that, that, you know, people can enjoy. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then the other one's less defined. I'm still working the kinks out, but this one is more of a true horror, uh, more of a body horror. Um, and this is, this is going to deal with, uh, capitalism run rampant, which is, which is an issue that I think a lot of people can understand and, and vibe with. Um, we, we see that the outcomes of this. I mean, we, we were spent so long talking about uh, the Fermi's paradox and it came up in the conversation. So mm-hmm. capitalism run, run rampant is something um, a lot of people can, can uh, understand. And, and I'm just going to take that to the extreme of, of very, you know, graphic and, and gory and, and creepy hit. Is, okay. is what I can say about right. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Um, when you're, when you sit down to watch horror movies, what, what, what gets you? It sounds like it's more of a thriller type deal, but what, what, Oh gets you? man, I, I haven't seen a good horror movie in so long. I, I think, uh, the people producing good horror movie, there's, there's been a few, I, they're on the tip of my tongue. I can't, uh, Midsummer was pretty good. Yes, um, I like Midsummer. Really, oh, it's hard to define horror because it, it's so closely uh, lined with thriller, um, and you kind of have to have supernatural elements to be a defined horror sure. uh, title, which I I steer away from because I think it's it's too jarring and it's not as relatable to mm-hmm. people as um, you know, what could happen in real life. Uh, I think that's more interesting for me. It is. Um, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I really so, enjoyed midsummer. It, I, I, yeah. That yeah. one, that one was good. Yeah. Um, so, so 
what I'm what the challenge I think is is you have to take what's good about the supernatural element horror movies mm-hmm. and and insert them and adapt them in a with a challenge. And that's sort of why I had a hard time classifying the first book I talked about that tease um, as a pure horror because it doesn't have those elements. It has things that are tangible and and relatable. But the, it handles it in a way that is horrific. So, so you know, it's open to interpretation. Yeah. A lot of the horror movies I see nowadays, they're just so trivialized and, and so shallow. I just watched uh, Megan or Megan last night. Okay. Uh, yeah. Pretty, I mean, it was okay, but very shallow plot i there's not yeah. too much to discuss after you leave that viewing experience it's it's like oh well all right ai bad <laughs> you know sort of right. thing right there's uh there's two coming out that i was telling the audience about um there's one in september a haunting in venice that's got uh, kenneth Branagh, tina fey uh and it's centered more like a, it's more of a whodunit involving psychics so it's kind of a murder mystery type uh, deal and it's set like at the turn of last century so kind of 1800s early 1900s and it kind of deals with like the houdini skeptical don't believe in psychics but get you know kenneth branagh kind of gets dragged to a seance to debunk a psychic type deal uh which looked incredibly interesting i thought yeah uh, that that does sound good. I haven't heard of that one. That does sound pretty good, though. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. The What's tra- the other one? The other one, believe it or not, um, is a is a Blumhouse. Uh, it's it's a sequel technically to The Exorcist, which is The Exorcist Believer. The trailer, okay. the the trailer just came online for it. It it was only being shown with Oppenheimer in the opening uh, opening weekend. And I saw this trailer and I went, no way. It just, it it has the complete spirit of the original, um, the original couple of exorcists. So I, check out the There's trailer. There's good potential in the exorcist series. I they've, They're consistently surprising, I think. Yeah. It sort of reminds me of Amityville Horror, the, the reboot. Yes. Uh, the, yes. it's, it's ancient by now, but it, that was a good one that I remember. Yeah. What's your favorite horror movie? of all time gosh I, the original exorcist i i that still gets me to this oh thing. yeah classic yeah um, have you seen the the john carpenter's the thing yes yeah i, I like that one yeah yeah that one's one, one of my favorites i think yeah. that's where a lot of my inspiration for these new new ones come from yeah yeah that's, that's maybe a little bit of alien not just Yes. Circle back to where we were. Yes. <laughs> on the yes. Stuff. The original Alien is awesome. That's an awesome movie. That's for sure. Um, and just real quick before we leave people today, I, I got to ask you about the snowboarding thing. I'm a Minnesotan, so I got to, you know, I, you know, a lot of people, when you say snow, they cringe and think about shoveling it. Not me. I think about getting out and playing in it. Um, oh, yeah. Well, well, the passion really started with sledding and uh, my grandpa taught me how to ski. Okay. So I've been uh, on the snow, gosh, now like 25 years, I want to say. Wow. Um, yeah, it, it's I, I transitioned to snowboarding uh, just to kind of keep it fresh because I was getting kind of stale with skiing. I feel like I, I reached kind of where I where I needed to be at, mm-hmm. and so snowboarding is just a new way to challenge myself. Um, 
and and I do stuff like paddle boarding too, wakeboarding, skateboarding, um, yeah. stuff like that. I, I recommend if anyone's trying to get out and active, uh, paddle boarding or like kayaking is, is accessible as, as long as you're near some water, um, you know, where, where life best, uh, cause water can, can drain, drain your strength really quickly. Oh, and, yeah. and, yeah. um, the shock of, of getting cold water on you, I mean, it, it shuts your body down and, and people sink like a stone. Um, but you know, as long as you're safe with it, I, I think it's a really rewarding, uh, way to get out in nature, enjoy the fresh air. Um, and it's totally exhausting. I mean, you'll, you'll burn more calories than, than anything else, uh, is getting out there and, and just seeing how far you can go or exploring a new area you wanted to look at. Right I was just, um, at the beach the other day and I, I saw a family of sea otters. Uh, so that was pretty cool. They were swimming right next to me and stuff. Oh, that's really um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fun. It's fun to get out there and see what you can see. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I highly encourage, um, I feel like skiing and snowboarding is so inaccessible to a lot of people. Um, I'm fortunate enough to live, uh, right underneath a small, uh, hill. It's a lot of work to get a good run, but you know, it's, it is what it is and I enjoy it. Um, I think even for, for people who maybe can't do it themselves, like I can't obviously because of different, uh, disabilities and stuff, but I love watching it on television, especially around the Olympics. Um, cause it's just, man, it's such an art just to watch, just to watch, you know, guys and gals get up there and and do what they do with their bodies, and you have such a small window, athletically, to do what you do. You oh know? yeah, I'm feeling the effects. I'm I'm I think I'm 32 now. It's 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 all downhill from here. I've embraced it, but I'm still having fun. Yeah. If you like yeah. Uh, watching it, uh, maybe consider joining my uh, or following my TikTok at MC Henry Books. Yeah. Um, it's pretty ver- ver- varied what I post there, but I've got some, some snowboard videos and one, uh, that I, I particularly like that's pinned on there. It's, you know, it's not as mind blowing as the X games, but it does get, give you the sense that you're actually in there in the action and, and enjoying it. So, yeah, you know, if you're, if you're into it, give yeah. it a, a whirl. I'm not just, I'm not just an alien guy. I have a lot of passions and interests and, and, uh, for the Fermi book is probably my last uh, adventure into science nonfiction. Okay. Um, Going to focus on more creative stuff moving forward. Good deal. Good to hear. Good to hear. Again, folks, we have the link in the description of this program, the illustrated guide to Fermi's paradox, why we don't observe alien life throughout the universe. MC Henry has been our guest. We appreciate it, uh, sir. And again, thank you so much for being on the program today. No, thank you. I, this was my first uh, podcast appearance, and I was delighted when you reached out. I I really enjoyed our uh, our time chatting. I hope I hope your listeners have too. But you know, if not, direct the feedback <laughs> towards me. I I can take it. Uh, um, you know what? I think people have enjoyed uh, today too. I, I, again, it's uh, it's been a wonderful conversation and and uh, a great time. I you know it. And I'm glad you agreed to be on the program. I, I love the book. I, again, I encourage people to go out and get the book and, and, and check it out. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Sam. It was a pleasure. Pleasure was all mine.
Want to thank my guest for being on the program today, M.C. Henry. The book is Fermi's Paradox, Why We Don't Observe Alien Life Throughout the Universe. We have a link in the description of this program. Click on it. Check it out. Lots of good information in there. A lot of stuff you haven't thought about before as to why science would deny that there's aliens out there in the universe. And it makes you think about why we've all of a sudden done this 180. I mean, I know we have video out there. I mean, duh, Tim. Uh, We we also have uh, other evidence as well. But uh, some of the stuff in there kind of makes sense as to why aliens would would potentially ignore us if they just chose to come to this planet. Lots of good stuff. I encourage you to check it out. When I when I took a look at it and and read it, a lot of it kind of hit home with me. And I I said, you know. It's that history thing. You have to know where you've been in order to go forward. And I read it in order to go forward. I had to understand where we had been. And and a lot of it makes sense. A lot of it makes sense. I just encourage you to read it. If anything, for reference material, call it that. Call it that. Folks, I want to thank you so much for another great week here on Darkness Radio. I want to thank Beer City Bruiser for, of course, co-hosting this week. Uh, also, my gratitude to Mally Fox and Jess Freeberg for being on the team. want to thank you as well, the listener, for tuning in and continuing to follow us here on Darkness Radio, enjoying the program, taking your hard-earned time to listen to the program. I can't, I can't say enough how much I'm grateful for all of you for, for tuning into these programs and enjoying these programs and giving us your feedback on these programs. I enjoy your feedback on these programs as well, whether you email me at tim at darknessradio.com or you hit me up on any of my social media channels. Uh, If you're looking for those social media channels, just go to darknessradioshow.com. All of our social media channels are there, so you you can get them there as well. A reminder that if you have Parashare stories that you want to get to us, tim at darknessradio.com or... Go to darknessradioshow.com. They had a aforementioned website. You just click on that blue button that's on the right-hand side. Leave us a voice note. You've got two minutes in which to do so. If you need another two minutes, just click on that blue button again. I'll stitch those voice notes together, and we'll play your voice note here on the show, and we'll weigh in on what it is you have to say. We'd prefer to hear your voice note, of course, your lovely voice over sending us an email, but I understand. If you're shy and you don't want to leave a voice note, we get it. So... Uh, either way, we want to hear your stories. Send them in to Tim at DarknessRadio.com or go to DarknessRadioShow.com and leave us a voice note. We greatly appreciate it. Speaking of gratitude, I want to thank our sponsors real quick for the week. I want to thank Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile. Let me tell you something, folks. You get unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network for just 15 bucks a month. Switch to Mint Mobile today. I've got it on my phone. It's amazing. I get such great reception. I get such great HD quality video, everything on my iPhone. Get your wireless plan today. Go to mintmobile.com slash darkness. Get it for just 15 bucks a month. The other sponsor this week I really want to thank. I had some delicious meals this week from Factor, including a pork chop meal that I can't rave enough about. It was pork chops along with uh, broccolini and some Brussels sprouts and a cream sauce that I can't, I just can't rave about enough. Stick to your wellness goals with premium ready to eat meals from Factor. I'm telling you, these meals are amazing. They also make some amazing smoothies too. The strawberry banana is my favorite. Just go to factormeals.com slash darkness50. When you get to checkout, use the code darkness50 and get 50% off your order. One more time, factormeals.com slash darkness50. When you get to checkout, use Darkness50 
and save 50% off your order. I guarantee you, you're going to love it. It's fresh meal prep. It's ready to go. You pop it in the microwave for two minutes. You've got yourself a fresh, healthy meal that tastes amazing, prepared by chefs. Factor, you got to try it. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the weekend or the week for us. We're looking forward to the weekend, looking forward to having some fun. We hope you have some fun as well. Get out and enjoy the weekend. I know it's been a little hot in a lot of the country, but, uh, you know, you can cool off in the pool. You can run through the sprinkler. You can do whatever it is you do or just have someone dump a cold bucket of water on your head. (laughs) That's pretty much what I have to do. (laughs) But, you know, we all have our fun in different ways. Uh, Also, look out for the neighbors next to you, the elderly neighbors, the infirm neighbors, the ones that can't do what it is they need to do in their yards or even with household chores. And just make sure they're okay. I mean, in this heat, it's really, really tough. So please do something for yourself and for each other. Get out there and make sure that those neighbors are okay. Those elderly, those infirm, the handicapped, make sure that they're doing all right as well. Uh, Keep in touch with them and make sure that you're Your friends, neighbors, your community are doing all right in this hot, hot summer. That'll do it for this week. Thank you so much, folks. Again, I can't thank you enough. My my attitude is gratitude, and I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much for another great week. We'll see you next week here on The Best in Paranormal Programming. This is Darkness Radio.